Well, I'm still coming off this theme of Psalm 117. Praise the Lord. Laud Him, all peoples. Praise the Lord. As I thought about it this week, I thought I would revisit an old story that I've shared with you before. It's a favorite movie of ours. Karen and I used to watch uh, every Easter. It's Franco Zeffirelli's movie entitled Jesus of Nazareth. I've shared with you before, it's the only movie about Jesus that I like. Most of them are just bad. Um, you know, it's just really hard, obviously, to capture the God-man on film. But there are a couple of scenes in this particular movie that I like very much. Um, I'm going to try to recount one scene for you, so try to follow me if you can. Uh, the Gospel of John tells us that Andrew and John were the first to follow Jesus. Now we have, obviously there was a conversation between these two, and obviously we don't have that in Scripture, but the movie with a little creative license um, creates that conversation. Um, so here's how they played it out in the movie. Andrew says to Peter, I found the Messiah. Peter says, Andrew, I'm not like you. I'm not a follower of priests and prophets. I'm a fisherman. I have a family to think of. You followed the Baptist? Go follow this one. Just leave me alone. This is my life. These are my nets. This is my boat. You go on. You follow this guy, but leave me alone. This is where I belong. This is my life. That evening, Peter's greatly moved as the Lord Jesus teaches about the prodigal son. The next day, Peter is kind enough to take Jesus and his men across the Sea of Galilee. And here's the scene. They start to get out of the boat. First, Jesus gets out of the boat. Then Andrew, Philip, and Matthew follow. Matthew turns and looks at Peter. Their eyes meet. Peter's remained on the boat. Their eyes meet for a moment. And then Matthew turns and follows Jesus. So Peter's looking at his boat. And then he looks at Jesus. And then he looks at his boat, and then he looks at Jesus, and he's trying to decide. You know what happens, but we'll save that scene for the end of the sermon. So after the last two sermons, I shared with you that stimulated by really all of the Word of God, but particularly the last few weeks in Psalm 117, uh, the middle chapter of the Bible, the shortest chapter in the Bible, where God says, come and enjoy me. That's essentially what is being said. When God, when God commands us to praise him, he is saying, and you need to hear this, God is saying, come and enjoy me. So, I have indeed been filled with wonder, awestruck wonder, and I've been thanking God for the privilege to know and worship him. I, this was something I challenged you with last week. I hope if you have never thanked God for the privilege of worship, that maybe you have now done that. God created you for wonder, awestruck wonder. You say, well, why don't I feel it? Well, we know, we know the story, right? We, Genesis chapter 3, we chose sin. We were in the loins of Adam and Eve. It is the doctrine of original sin. We chose that. We thought sin would be better. Satan told us that we were victims here. 
God was holding out on us. We thought sin would be better. We, we bought the lie. It's why we don't feel wonder, awestruck wonder, as often as we were designed to. Humanity is not like every other creature on the planet. Darwinism is stupid. The science is, the science is proving it now. It never did make much sense, but now it's been relegated to the trash heap. We were designed to intimately relate with a personal God. We were designed for this. You know it's true. And even though the atheist may proclaim he doesn't believe there is a God, he knows there is a God. He knows eternity resides in his heart. He knows he was built for wonder, awestruck wonder. But he's preferred his sin. You and I were made forever, and we have been infused. And you know this about yourself. All of us have reached that age. You know you are infused with infinite desire. You know you are. You know there's nothing. You, there's nothing you've tried on this planet that satisfies your soul. Nothing. And those of you who are young and still think there's something out there that's going to fill up your soul, okay, I'm just telling you, when you get it, it won't. If it's some worldly temporal thing, when you get it, it won't. So I, I hope that you'll take my word for it. Some of you have already attained the age where you have come to understand that that's true. The Bible teaches us that we one day will be swallowed up in God's grandeur. We will be lost, as John Piper says, and I love it. Those moments of true worship, right? Where you're lost in self-forgetfulness. You, you know what I'm talking about? Self-forgetfulness. He says heaven will be all about self-forgetfulness, right? We will be consumed with who he is and what he says and what he's doing. Self-forgetfulness. You know, that's our big problem. We all think we're the center of the cosmos. We love the reflection in the mirror. Jesus has liberated us. Last week or the week before, I shared with you Piper's, John Piper's definition of worship. Let me give it to you again. The inner treasuring of Jesus as the highest value in the universe from which proceeds acts of obedience, faith, devotion, and love. Now, we enhanced that. We added one thing to it. Piper's saying Jesus is the highest value, and we've been saying that Jesus is the what? Anybody? Greatest treasure. He's not only the greatest value, he's the highest treasure of the human heart. He's the greatest value of the human heart. And if you've come to know him, if you're born again, you understand he's the highest pleasure or treasure of the human heart. This is what we were made for, beloved. He is the highest value in the universe. He is the greatest pleasure in the universe. It's Christian hedonism. It's John Piper's, you know, his mantra, Christian hedonism. What is Christian hedonism? Well, we know what a Christian is, so what does hedonism mean? Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure above all things. So a Christian hedonist pursues Jesus Christ for his pleasure above all things. This happens as we are born again. 
because God has caused his people to be born again. First Peter chapter one, verse three. In one sense, every true believer is, is Lazarus. He calls us out of death into life. And we immediately recognize that he is the highest pleasure in the cosmos. We get Philippians 121. I hope you know this text, at least the, the meat of it. And if Jesus is your highest pleasure, you understand Philippians 121. To live as Christ, what? To die as gain. If you can really own that, if you can really, really, truly own that, if that's alive and well in your heart and in your mind, man, it's only going to get better. Death is liberation, right? It's gain. It's, I love to preach a Christian funeral. I love it. It's gain. Yeah, there may be a, a tear or two, but it's gain. Conversely, I don't, I don't want to do funeral for an unbeliever. I've never been asked to, and I hope I never am. But I, I simply don't think I could do it. It's too tragic. It's simply too tragic. So, it's what God told Abraham. Remember? I, I bring this up a lot. You get tired of hearing it, but I don't ever want you to forget it. What did God tell Abraham? What drum do I beat all the time? You are my what? I am your what? Better said. I am your reward. God says, I'm your reward. If this is not true, I don't think you've met him yet. If you don't understand that God's your reward, he's way better than family, way better than kids, way better than acclaim, way better than fame, way better than money. If you could have the whole world, as I told you last week, and you could sit it on your couch and it was yours, it doesn't fill your soul. It, it's, it's not even on the same radar screen as the pleasure we derive, the true believer derives from Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and you might have it mundanely. Oh, wait, that's wrong. What kind of life did he say we would have? Abundantly. If you look at the Greek there, that word translated abundantly, it talks about a more than necessary life. I've always been enchanted by this phrase, a more than necessary life. This is the kind of life God gives, right? A more than necessary. We're not just talking about inhaling and exhaling. That's not what we're talking about. That's, we're not talking about simple biological life. You know, as C.S. Lewis says, Zoe life, spiritual life. The only life that matters. The only life that truly matters Jesus says, I give you the more than necessary life. To die is gain. 2 Corinthians 5, 8. To be absent in the body is to be at home with the Lord. To die, as David tells us in Psalm 16, 11, is to be in the presence of God where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forever. So I'm just going to stop and ask you, is it true for you? Do you get it? Can, can you relate to the fact that your death is infinite gain? Is, is, that a, is that a real concept? Is that an axiom in your life? It, do you, is that something you can live by? 
I don't care if I live or die. I ultimately really don't. In fact, what did the Apostle, pay, uh, the Apostle Paul say in Philippians 1? He says, I'm hard-pressed. I want to go. But why does he say he'll stay? Anybody remember? He wants to go. Why does he say to be with the Lord is what? It's very much better. <laughs> Here's the thing. Most, most professing Christians, have, they have no concept about Philippians 1. They have no concept that it's very much better. Yeah, theoretically, I, I, I know I should say that. I think that's what the Bible's teaching. But I'm talking about down in your soul. Do you feel that? It's going to be very much better. And I am hard-pressed. I'm very hard-pressed. But I'll stay here. Why did he tell the Philippians he would stay here? To serve you. Beloved, there's a whole lot here for us to think about, Right? It's infinite gain, infinite pleasure beyond description. Eye has not seen nor ear heard all that God has prepared for those who love Him. It's unfathomable. God doesn't even try to explain it. He doesn't even try to, you know, uh, what's the word I want? He doesn't try to illuminate it in the Bible. It's impossible. You can't. Is it true for you? Do you understand that God is gain? That that are you hard-pressed? Do you feel that tension? I think every true believer must feel this tension. So I'm going to show all, the, all, I, all that I've said, I'm going to show to you in Scripture tonight. Um, we've been talking about that to know God is to uh, experience the, the highest pleasure that a human being can experience. We've been talking about last week. It's a great privilege to worship God. And to truly worship God always means we're going to end up doing another thing. If we're truly worshiping God, then we're truly going to what? Obey God. Because worship, the ultimate worship is obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll come to church. That's not what he said. He says, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Love being the highest form of worship for a human being, right? What is the first law or the summary of the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, I want us to look at this. I want us to look at the privilege to worship God. I want to see see it manifested in Scripture in obedience. I, I want you to see, I'm, I'm going to give you about four or five examples. Through, I'm just gonna, we're just going to run through the Bible real quick, right? I want you to see this reality. If you call yourself a worshiper and you're not an obeyer, you're a liar. Go read 1 John. If we say we love Christ, but we do not follow Christ, John is very blunt. We, you are a liar. The truth is not in you. You can't be a worshiper if you're not a follower. This is an oxymoron. And there's another beautiful point here. We get to worship God. We get to obey God. And when we obey God, you guys know where I'm going. You get more of God. It's always John 14, 21. It's always John 14, 21.
So, tonight, worship is the capstone of the consummation of enjoying God. That's what praise means. Come and praise me, God says. The praise is the capstone or the climax of enjoying God. But as we worship God, we are called or we are really irresistibly drawn into obedience. Why do I seek to obey God? Because I'm a good little Christian. No, I couldn't be further from that. <laughs> that doesn't interest me at all. I obey God because I get God. And I, I hope, I want each one of you, I hope you're addicted to this. I hope you're addicted to obedience. Not because you're a good little person or you want to be seen as a, you know, a Pharisee. But you obey because God comes. God meets you. I'm going to watch, I want you to see God meet his people in obedience. I want you to see it tonight as we fly through a couple of texts. So if we've come into true worship, Obedience spills out into the life. Let me just start right here. Matthew 13, 44. You know the famous parable. I refer to it all the time. Um, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it he goes and he sells all that he has that he might have the field. We understand the point of the parable, right? Jesus is the treasure. And this man will give any and all to have this treasure. Jesus is the supreme treasure. Don't call yourself a Christian if you can't confess that before God, because you're not. I lovingly say to you, if you can't get before God and confess that Jesus Christ is your highest treasure, not only the greatest value, every, everybody with an IQ over 85 gets that. But I'm talking about get before God and confess, and you can confess with all your heart that He is my greatest pleasure. Listen, man, if that's not real in your prayer life, I'm going to challenge you to cultivate this. Cultivate this. If God is genuinely, if you can't, you know, string two or three thoughts together about how God is your treasure and your pleasure, then my challenge to you is to, to get into the Word and begin to try to cultivate this in your prayer life. You need to be saying this to God. And it needs to be true in our hearts. What did Jesus say about your treasure? He says, for where your treasure is what? If it's your job, man, you love your job more than God. If it's money, you love, if it's sex, if whatever. You know, don't you love the Bible? It's just flat out, straight truth. You can love it, you can hate it, but it's just the truth. God, listen, God's not trying to win an, an opinion poll here. He's not trying to curry favor with fallen man. He is offering salvation to any and all who would believe. So, let's start with Abraham. You guys know the story. Abraham just packs up and leaves one day. Why does a man do this? Because he's met God. Yeah, he's ridiculed. Yeah, his family thinks he's crazy. He's going to a place he's never been. He doesn't know anything about it except God said, do it. 
Do you see how, do you see how obedience is worship? <laughs> do you see how Abraham worships God in his obedience? And Abraham goes. He just goes. He just goes. He worships the living God by obeying the living God. So I'm asking you tonight, don't come in here and say you worshiped if you don't go out there and obey the Lord because you're playing a game. We're all just playing a game. If we come in here and, and we, we, we feign this, this affection for God, but we go out there and we don't, we don't live it. and We don't incarnate it. This is what matters to God. Incarnating His Word in the world, right? This is what matters to the Lord. And I want to say this about Abraham. You know, if you go to Hebrews 11, 13 and 16, it says that Abraham died in faith without receiving all the promises. He, he didn't even receive all the promises. But it didn't matter. Why did it not matter? He had God with him. You know, a lot of people, I hate this about the modern church. A lot of people are trying to keep score. Well, they got, he got more blessing than I got, and he has better health than I have, and, you know, he's got more money. Who cares? I say it all the time, but stop boring me with the prosperity gospel. Abraham died not receiving all the promises. It didn't matter to him. He had God. God was his reward. God was his reward. Don't bore me with the prosperity gospel. Don't blaspheme God with it. It's, it's an abomination. Abraham, Abraham, and this is what I want us to do. Abraham took the long view. Abraham took the long view. It's not about how much God blesses me now. And he does. Every time your brain fires, it's a blessing because you should die. What are the wages of sin? A day at the beach. No, wait, what is it? What are the wages of sin? What do you deserve? You deserve to be dead a long time ago. So every time your heart beats, <laughs> let's not keep score with God. If you really know him, you won't do it. You won't do it. If you really know him, you won't do it. You've already hit the lotto. Does that translate? Does everybody know what the lotto is? You've already hit the lotto, man. God is the jackpot. And you get him back to Chinelo. You get him forever. And it never stops getting bigger. And there's always more. It's the sacred and intimate and eternal romance. So, yeah, if you're keeping score, I encourage you to stop. Do you remember when, he, when God told Abraham, I want you to do this thing with Isaac. And Abraham, you know, he, he, he spent a while and he thought, well, I need to pray about this and I need to make sure I understood. I need to go counsel with some people and I need to... Wait a minute, what did the text say? Does anybody remember the next verse? Early the next morning, he was on his way to Mount Moriah. Don't you love immediate obedience? <laughs> immediate obedience. <clears throat> immediate obedience is an expression of, I trust God no matter what he says. Yeah, this is a mysterious command. Go sacrifice your son, which I supernaturally gave you. This is a mysterious command. I understand it. Yeah, I, this is mysterious. But he got the word from God and bam, he's on his way, right? He's on his way. 
There's no hesitation. You got to love this about this guy, right? Even when the obedience is hard, even when it's beyond our understanding, I say to you, praise God in your obedience. <clears throat> fierce in praise, fierce in obedience. It's the same. It really means the same thing. Those two words are synonymous there. Praise and obedience. These are synonymous in this context. You know, <clears throat> I've been doing this for a while and you run into people and a lot of people are afraid to obey God. They think they're going to lose something. <laughs> I just want to shake them. I just want to go, wake up. You know, I just want to slap them. Come on, wake up. You don't lose with God. You never lose with God. You lose without God. And you lose when you, you know, shrink back. You lose. God doesn't lose. God doesn't need you to finish his work. He'll get it done. But if he invites you in to do his work, to be part of what he wants to accomplish on the planet, man, you need to run into it. Full speed. You need to be like Abraham. I'm up early the next day. I'm on my way to obedience. Right? Because my obedience is worship. This is what I want you to see. This is the thing you got, I want you to see tonight. I want you to see your obedience is worship. It's not anything less than that. And so if obedience is worship, then what is disobedience? This is not hard. It's, we can just say, what did you say, Dion? That's a good answer. I was going to use another word, but I'm going to go with her word. But it's, it's like anti-worship, right? It's the opposite of worship. Disobedience is the opposite of worship. It's not simply, oh, I didn't keep the rule. No! Unregenerate people think like that, okay? It's not that I, oh, I, I just didn't keep the rule. No, you have not worshipped God when you could. You have not worshipped God in the place He's calling you to worship Him. Beloved, this is a big deal. It's a real big deal. And I'm going to show you in a couple of examples from Scripture that John 14, 21 is very true. I'm going to read it to you. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So in obedience, we get God. You have to decide what's loss and gain for you, right? If you see obedience as loss, I don't know what I can say to you. <laughs> obedience is always gain. We get God. John 14, 21. One of the hardest points of obedience in my life, I'm not going to go into it. I obeyed because of John 14, 21. I was scared to death to obey God one day. <laughs> he took me to John 14, 21, and then I was fearless in obedience. Why? Because I believed I'd get God. And, oh yes, He showed up. So we get disclosure. We get disclosure in the obedience. It's why men and women live like they live in the Bible and in church history.
Because obedience is worship. One of my favorite quotes, Francis Chan, Crazy Love. You guys know the book probably. This is what he says. <laughs> Something's wrong. I think it's my favorite Francis Chan quote. Something's wrong when your life makes sense to an unbeliever. You claim to be a Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian. Okay. There's something wrong if your life makes sense to an unbeliever. There has to be at least a handful of visible, you know, points in your life where the unbeliever is going to say, what are you doing? Why do you do that? Why do you talk that way? Why do you refuse to, you know, go with us? I, I just love that line. <laughs> if your life makes sense to an unbeliever, I don't think there's any worship going on at all. Because worship is obedience. Obedience is worship. Right? There's almost no distinction there. The unbelievers around Abraham, they didn't get it. Nor did the unbelievers around... Let me go to another example. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know these guys, right? You know the famous story. I think it's Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar said, bow down to my idol. And what did the boy say? No, not going to happen. You remember what they said? O king, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to your crummy God. Right? We know the true God. We know the living God. I'm not going to bow to your stupid, you know, crummy, made up, ridiculous God. I love about these three guys. Their life was not gained to them. What's gained to them here? God. This is a big deal. Their life, keeping their life was not considered gain. Worshiping God in the hard spot was considered gain. <laughs> this is one of my favorite accounts in the Bible. Oh, what happened? There was three guys got thrown in. How many guys are in the fire? You know the story, right? There's four. Oh, it's John 14, 21. There's disclosure going on. Jesus is in the fire with them. They loved him. They obeyed him. He showed up. Their life was not gained to them, but they gained their life. Right? Man, don't you love the Bible? <laughs> I just love it. It's freedom to live large. Instead of living afraid, I love it. So God was their highest treasure and he was their greatest pleasure. You know, they said whether, you whether God delivers us or not, it doesn't matter to us. It just is inconsequential to us. You got a fire? You got a big fire? Throw us in there. It's gain. Whatever happens is gain. You guys know the, the story of Stephen over in Acts chapter 7. We know that Stephen was martyred for his... Uh, fiery preaching. Um, but John 14, 21 happened for him too. You remember? The heavens opened and he saw who doing what? He saw the Son of God 
standing at the right hand of God? Jesus manifests, I have no doubt. I have no doubt that this happens for every Christian martyr. I have no doubt that Jesus, Jesus comes to them. I have no doubt. And it probably happens too for non-martyrs. But I mean for the martyr who needs grace, who needs encouragement, right? Who needs to see the face of God. I just fully believe, and this is Jim Albright, I fully believe he gets the face of God. I believe he gets the presence of God in that moment of need. So he will not shrink back. Stephen got the, he got the uh, disclosure as well. Another example, we'll go back to the book of Daniel. You remember there was an edict not to, not to pray and, except to uh, the king. And um, Daniel went up on his rooftop and he prayed and he was reported. And the, corner, the, 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 the king got backed into a corner and had to throw Daniel into the lion's den. He didn't want to do it because he, he knew Daniel was a man of great wisdom and, and um, he didn't want to do it, but he did it. Anybody, what, anybody remember what happened? Okay, Daniel says, you can't tell me not to worship God. I will worship God. I will obey God. I will kneel before my God in prayer. My worship is my prayer. My worship is my obedience. It doesn't really matter what you do. Throw me in the lion's den. The angel of the Lord came. Uh, it's John 14, 21 again. The angel of the Lord. That's an Old Testament technical phrase for pre-incarnate Christ. So, you have to love this, right? You have to love it. You have to love what you see on the pages of Scripture. How about a couple of New Testament examples? Um, you can turn with me if you want. I'll, I'll spend just a few minutes in uh, Luke 19. Uh, Zacchaeus, you know the story, right? You know the story of Zacchaeus? Verse 2, Luke 19, verse 2. He was a tax collector, which meant he had no, he didn't put any importance on the good opinion of his countrymen. He obviously loved money more than he cared about anything else. Verse 5, Zacchaeus' treasure finds him sitting in a sycamore tree. Verse 6, Zacchaeus hurries to receive Jesus gladly. Verse 8, Zacchaeus knows that the man in, knows what the man in our parable over in Matthew 13, 44 knows. He knows everything just changed, right? Everything just changed. For him. He just discovered his real treasure. His name is Jesus. Zacchaeus called him Lord. He repents of his greed and his extortion. Verse 9, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Now, obviously, Jesus, being omniscient, he knows the man's heart. But here's the thing for us to see. It's not just that his heart has changed, which we can't see. It's his outward life has changed. This is always the defining characteristic of a born-again believer. The life changes, right? The life changes. Worship becomes obedience because obedience is worship. The pleasure I have in God spills out in my life because I do what God says to do. I'm not talking about perfection. That's ne I'm never talking about perfection. But when we sin, we know what we're, to, what we're supposed to do with it. We're supposed to confess it and move on with God as we receive his forgiveness. But I love this about Zacchaeus, a new treasure, a new pleasure is born in the heart of Zacchaeus and everything 
changes. He gets to worship his creator. He gets to obey Jesus Christ. He's in on the disclosure thing. He has become a Christian hedonist. One more, one more. The Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 9. He's on his way. He's on religious business, right? He's, he's, he's on religious business. He's got his chest puffed out. He feels good about himself. He's doing God's work. Well, God shows up and knocks him flat, right? God shows up on his way to Damascus. The only thing that really mattered to Paul was that he was a perfect Jew, and we know he was the perfect Jew. Philippians 3, 4 through 6 tell us, tells us that he was. Circumcised on the eighth day, he was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the law, he was blameless. But this is what he wrote to the Philippians after he had met Jesus Christ. And I hope this is kind of the message for all of us tonight. Philippians 3, 7 and 8. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I don't think anybody in this room has suffered the loss of all things. He did. Most of us have not suffered anything for the cause of Christ. Let's just be honest. Here's a man... Here's a man that can teach us. Here's a man that can teach us. More than that, I count all things lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, and I count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. Getting John 14, 21 was more important to Paul than health, wealth and prosperity. And being the perfect Jew. Paul was addicted to, when I obey, I get God. You can just see it in Paul's life. You can do whatever you want to me, but when I obey God, I get John 14, 21. I get disclosure. I get disclosure. I get God. And I'm going to read to you, and I, I read it to myself this week, and I, I, I was moved. And I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to think about this. These are the words of Paul, 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 27. You guys know the litany, what he suffered because he delighted in God above all things, because God was his highest treasure and greatest pleasure. And this is the thing about Paul, man. <laughs> oh, you don't believe Jesus is my highest treasure and greatest pleasure? You don't believe it? Just look at my life. Look at my life. Listen to, listen to this. Paul says, I've been imprisoned and beaten times without number. I'm already impressed. I've never been beaten once. Not that I have to be beaten. That's not the point. He says, times without number. I'm often in danger of death. I don't know that I've ever been in danger of death except for my own stupidity when I was a teenager. He says five times I've received, five times he got 39 lashes. Five times. Can you imagine the scar tissue on this man's back? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. 
That's the time I believe that he was left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among the false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights. How many, how many of you have had a sleepless night over the work of God in your life? In, hang, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. This was a guy that was at the top of the food chain in Jerusalem. He turned his back on all of it. And he was, as far as the world was concerned, he was a drag. He was disposable. Beaten, imprisoned. Was there any doubt that Jesus was Paul's highest treasure and greatest pleasure? Is there any doubt? My, my point is this. Obviously, we don't have to be the Apostle Paul. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying sometimes obedience costs, beloved. Sometimes it costs. And if you shrink back from obedience because you're afraid, you lose. That's the point. That was the point. So it was pretty hard for Paul. But he got to worship, right? He got to obey Jesus Christ. So we left Peter standing on the boat, trying to decide what he would do. Yeah, we already know what he decided. What I would say to you, it's not difficult to decide to become a church member. A lot of people do that but they will not obey Christ in the world. They simply won't do it. They're not willing to pay the price. But what the true believer knows, what you and I know, <laughs> whatever it costs, right? It's nothing in comparison. Whatever we may lose temporally, is offset in an infinite fashion with the presence and disclosure of Jesus Christ in our life. You know, I, I like to say, back in my home culture, I, like, I used to say it a lot. Um, I would say to people, you know, if driving to church is the greatest risk you take in your Christianity, <laughs> then I think you've got some work to do. You know, well, I might have an accident if I drive to church. If that's the greatest risk that you're now taking to, you know, to conform to what it means to be a Christian, it makes me wonder just a bit. So we left Peter on the boat. You know what he does. He looks at the boat one more time. He looks at Jesus. He looks back at his boy who's at the at the rudder, and he says to his boy, take her back to Capernaum. He jumps off the boat, and he goes. I cry every time. So if you've never jumped off the boat, if you just go to church when it's convenient, but you've never really jumped off the boat,
I lovingly challenge you to readjust what you believe is gain and what you believe is loss. Because if you haven't jumped the boat, you apparently don't know the difference between gain and loss yet. True gain and true loss. So, what have you decided? I hope that um, you have decided that Jesus is your highest treasure and your greatest pleasure. Matthew 13, 44, because the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. It's what born-again Christianity always looks like. Psalm 117, praise the Lord. Laud Him, all peoples, praise the Lord. And if you have truly begun to praise God, there will be obedience in your life. If I'm wrong, come tell me. If, I, if, I, if, I've, if, if I've mishandled the Bible, if I've mishandled the Scriptures, please come and tell me. Please come and tell me. But tonight, the Lord invites you and He invites me to go deeper. Whatever that looks like, don't know what's going on in your life, whatever it looks like, come on, right? I'm infinite gain. Come and enjoy me, Psalm 117. I'm infinite gain. We just have to believe it, beloved. We just have to believe it. Let's pray together.